0: The Virtual CISO Moment is brought to you by vCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vCISOServices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Moment. This is actually our first end-of-month Wednesday special, and we have a very special guest with us today. We have Scott Augenbaum. He was with the FBI for about 30 years. Um, A lot of that time was spent in the cyber area as a special agent and
1: now uh, is a keynote speaker, author, and trainer. Scott, thank you so much for joining it is so good to see you. Last time I saw you, you were just climbing up a rope. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, and, I, and I should say that too.
0: It's like, in addition to all those extensive qualifications, you and I have known each other for, for, we can measure it in decades now and good friend and Absolutely. happy to know you. And, uh, um, that reminds me, I haven't climbed rope in the gym for a while. So, get back um, to,
1: okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will. So, um, I know a lot of your history, obviously, and I know a lot of folks do because um, you're well known not only in Nashville, but also um, nationally and internationally for what you do. I appreciate your service and everything that you've done. But uh, can you kind of step us through why and how you first got involved with the FBI and how that migrated to cyber and then why after retiring you you decided to continue on the uh, mission that you do?
1: Well, if you would have told me, Greg, that some 34 years ago today, that this kid from Brooklyn, New York, who barely graduated community college, would be retired from the FBI, living in Nashville, Tennessee, wrote a book about cybercrime. And had- oh, 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 oh,
0: wait, 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 wait. I forgot to plug it.
1: I'm sorry. He's also oh.
0: the author of this book, The
1: the Secret to
0: Cybersecurity. So it's a great read. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, and- <laughs> And and also happened to be, you know, on the Dr. Phil show in front of millions of people and not about something that I was trying to hide from my background either. <laughs> you know, I would have said no friggin' way, not my life at all. I got involved in the FBI when I was 20 years old because of my mom who filled out an application for me to become a file clerk with the FBI making $5.50 an hour in 1988 uh, at 87 years old, she still reminds me that this was part of her grand plan to keep me out of jail. <laughs> and that was a good rate for back then, too. Well, oh, no. Hey, listen, you know, one of the things the FBI, you couldn't really do was you couldn't hang out with your drug dealer friends anymore. And, <laughs> you know, when you grew up in Brooklyn, New York in the 80s, that was about 98% of my friends surrounded by a lot of positive role models got my act together went back to school started working on an mba in finance and technology opportunity opens up to become an agent in 94 Mm -hmm. and uh i jump on the opportunity uh i get my first office of assignment in syracuse new york and if you ask me to define the role of an fbi agent in 1995 i'm going to say it's so easy and simple Bad people do bad things to good people. I work with state and local cops. We put bad guys in jail. Mm -hmm. Simple, fun, exciting job for this 27-year-old kid from Brooklyn. A gun, a badge, a bulletproof vest, playing cops and robbers with my friends. So exciting. One of the things I quickly discover is the harder you work, the more bad people you put in jail, the better you Feel about yourself. Now I don't realize this as I'm going through it, but it's that whole dopamine effect. Uh-huh. I get stuck into working cybercrime in 98 because I have the qualification that the FBI needed at the time. They needed somebody who knew how to use America online. So <laughs> by default, I become the cyber guy in the office, which is not the fun and sexy job to have. I mean. Because back in 98, we're chasing thrill seekers, we're chasing amateurs. And then about 99 or so, cyber takes a little bit more of a sinister turn because we start dealing with Mm. e-commerce. The events of September 11th changed the FBI completely forever. Counterintelligence, counterterrorism, number one priority, counterterrorism, number two, cybercrime, number three. Uh, I get involved in the, I go to Washington, D.C. for three years to work in the FBI cyber division, and all of my friends make fun of me. They tell me that this cyber crime problem is going to end by 2006 because the FBI is going to arrest every teenage hacker. Let me ask you, <laughs> how's that working out? <laughs> Not too good. <laughs> Not at all. So 2007, I get to Nashville as the first cybercrime supervisor, because now the FBI puts 56 dedicated field, in in 56 field offices, we have dedicated cyber squads, which is a new thing. We have a staff, and now it's my job to train up uh, these IT guys who the fbi hires and puts guns in their hand after 16 weeks at the fbi academy who really don't know how to talk to people and interact with people and i think that i'm going to take my criminal experience as an agent and apply it to cyber and it's just gonna be easy Uh but you know from 2007 until almost i retire i get a chance greg to interview almost a thousand victims I meet them face to face. I feel their pain, you know, and I want to say today, you know, I, I just, it, it scars you because here's the, what I call the cornerstone of what I talk about, which is the four truths about cybersecurity. And, you know, you're in the business. I know you for a long time. So I want to get your feedback on these four truths. Okay. Because I'm waiting for someone to call me out on it because, you know, I don't consider myself an expert. I Mm -hmm. consider myself the guy who answered the phone and dealt with a thousand people. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's the commonalities. The first one is none of my victims ever expected to be a victim because they didn't think they had anything worth stealing or they were located in Nashville, Tennessee. And obviously there's a force field because, you know, nobody would target a healthcare company in Tennessee when you can target a healthcare company in New York.
0: True. I will say that one is true, and it's actually a serious problem with small and mid-sized businesses because you still have that perception that, well, they're only going to go after the big targets. And actually, it's completely flipped around now because the big targets have put in strong cybersecurity programs, and it's the small targets that are the ones that don't have the program in place. And you might think that, well, there's not much there to steal, but we're talking not margin. We're talking volume here. So okay. I would say number one, yes, uh, no pushback on that.
1: Do I have your permission to uh, make fun of the healthcare sector in Nashville, Tennessee? I mean, I don't want to burn any bridges or anything, but you Scott, know, you can do whatever you want. I got the greatest. <laughs> point. So here I am, and I'm with the FBI. And as quickly as I'm getting things coming in, I'm trying to go out and educate the public. Mm-hmm. So I would go over, and we all know that Nashville is the Silicon Valley of healthcare. And um, so I would go over and I would talk to companies and I would say, are you concerned about being a victim of cybercrime? And they would go, no, we are a small business. What's Mm -hmm. your definition revenue wise? What's your definition of a small business? Well, that's actually a pretty good question. Um, The way I,
0: well, well the way I frame it, let me explain um, how I frame it because uh, I look at it from where, of course, my firm, we provide virtual chief information security officer services for businesses that don't need to hire a full-time one. So then it becomes, well, where is that over-under for them to hire a full-time one? You can extrapolate that and say, well, that's the, uh, the over-under for small, mid-sized business as opposed to larger. Generally speaking, uh, let's say 300 employees, $100 million in revenue, generally okay. speaking, generally okay
1: that's a small business. But when you start coming down into things, you know, I had a company with a half a billion dollars in revenue tell me they were a small business. Yeah, and that's that's ridiculous. I mean- um... But then at the same time, you can have a $10 million business that doesn't have a dedicated IT person. So, so I would go over and so I would talk to companies on the NASDAQ. Mm-hmm. And they would say to me, why would anyone want to target us? We're on the NASDAQ.
0: What does being on the NASDAQ have to do with being not a target?
1: What do you mean? Because they're not a publicly traded healthcare company. HCA is a $53 billion company. Why would anyone want to target my company on the NASDAQ when it's a $53 billion company? Hmm. Okay, that's sarcasm. I know, I know you're you're kind of looking at me like (laughs) that, you know. So, nobody ever expected to be a victim. And one of my best lines was, We're a $5.8 billion company, and the cyber criminals are only targeting uh, companies over $10 billion. And I would go, Where did you get that from? (laughs) I was
0: just thinking, Where is that statistic from?
1: Data breach report, because obviously you know, they know what they're talking about. The same people who said that the advanced persistent threat wasn't real too, but that's has mm-hmm. Okay. So, all right. So we got that, but you know, it broke my heart because when our friends at the big healthcare companies would have breaches and they all would have breaches, I didn't lose any sleep. You want to know why? Because I had to deal with people whose lives were destroyed every day whose businesses were going under. And you know, we always talk about sixty percent of small businesses fail. Who knows if that's true, but I can't tell you how many people I've seen that had their lives completely destroyed.
0: Yeah, that that sixty percent is a is a I know the the stat that you're quoting, and it's I'm one of those circular stats.
1: You talk about that stat. Yeah,
0: but they're, they're, I'm pushing your button with that. Well, it's actually it's it's a it's a non-stat. There there has yeah, never been a stat where that came out. Now that doesn't mean that it isn't true, but it certainly. Um, but to your point, I kind of got off on tangent. You you are getting away from the the financial to the human element. Is this number two on your list?
1: No, no. Number two is. When the bad guys steal your stuff and think about within an organization, what is your client's stuff? Your data, your uh, healthcare information, your PR, HR records, your email, your money. When the bad guys steal your stuff and you contact law enforcement, we're not coming over with a magic wand to fix the problem. So the chances of getting your money back I'm going to tell you point blank is slumped on
0: true. And that's one of the things that uh, I tell folks all the time because they just think, um, uh, I mean, I don't even think that law enforcement even cares to b- involve folks if it's under a certain amount of money, period. they
1: don't care. There's just
0: so there's, much. The, there's so much there's and there's so and much. the, and the resource.
1: Mean, you, work yeah. you know, the one thing about working cyber crime or any type of thing in law enforcement is you can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, I just had, I feel now, and I can say this, that a majority of my career was being a hospice worker. Why do I say that? I just get a call from an individual the other day whose elderly father just lost $1.1 million. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. He's not getting his money back, which leads to the third truth about cybersecurity. The chances of law enforcement putting the bad guy in jail is slim to none. So I can't get the money back. I can't put the bad guy in jail. Why can I not get the money back? Because he transferred the money two months ago. Money's gone. Right. The bad guys are located overseas.
0: Well, even even from a banking perspective, I think a truism in banking was that because, you know, I was a bank CISO for a while that um, if if it's if it's not gotten back anything within 24 hours, none of it's coming back. And 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 the chances of getting anything back in the beginning is still going to be slim. Um, Sometimes sometimes you can get some back. So so 2 and 3 kind of point me towards yes I, I I agree with them but they point me towards the incredible need for a solid cybersecurity program and preventative because you, you you don't want to get into a car accident and hope that the surgeon will save your life you you want to not get into a car accident and it's the same thing here
1: well I'm going to allude to the fourth truth okay it, But during my career, like look at me as a young FBI agent. The harder I work, the more bad people I put in jail, the better I feel about myself. Now, I am not realizing this as I'm going through this with my decades with the FBI, but every day is the same thing. I can't get their money back. I can't put the bad guys in jail. I'm getting literally my ass kicked by people going, what do you mean you can't get my father's $1.1 million back? What do you mean you can't get the money from the church back? What do you mean you can't help the kid or the ransomware, which we're going to talk another episode about ransomware, because I can't even go into it now. There's so much. (laughs) But then I realized, and I remember sitting down talking to Victor Rodriguez, who was my partner for years, who's the most technically trained guy in the world. I went like this. It dawned on me. I'm like, it's the same thing over and over again. So the fourth truth about cybersecurity is that a majority of the incidents that I dealt with easily could have been prevented if my end users were only armed with some core pieces of information. Mm -hmm. And that is what was the epiphany, which when I retired when I was 50, I turned down a ton of business development jobs. I've turned down sales jobs to follow my passion, which is the only, when I discovered this about two years before I retired, I never turned down an opportunity to talk. I never turned down an opportunity to share what I learned when I was with the FBI. And that's what drove me to where I am now, uh, almost four and a half years since I retired.
0: Well, now I, I remember vividly when uh, you and Victor came to, when I was CISO for Metro Nashville and uh, did a uh, presentation and at first wasn't really sure why the fbi was coming in to talk to us it's like is there something wrong but i realized early on that what you guys were doing and this may have been sort of at the beginning of this endeavor is that you actually reaching out to not only government but small businesses mid-sized businesses and proactively like uh uh saying look these are the things we've seen these are the bad things that can happen you're not going to get your stuff back but these are the things you need to try to think about in order to prevent you from doing that it's it's like you, had, you you had How many businesses did you talk to during that time?
1: Uh, I talked to a lot of businesses. I'm going to say I probably did over a thousand presentations. And that's where I learned my skill set of presenting mm-hmm. and going out. And that's what I end up doing today. And what I tell people all the time is, hey, listen, if 90% of the stuff could have been prevented, why don't we do that first? And I ruffle a lot of feathers because you know what? I'm like, you know, people tell me, hey, I'm PCI compliant, and I'm HIPAA compliant. And I go, big deal. So were (laughs) all of my other victims. Yeah,
0: the mental image I had in my mind, and I'm dating myself here is Archie Bunker saying, well, whoop de doo
1: Yeah, yeah, no, (laughs) exactly. But when you have people who do that for a living, they kind of get pissed off at you. So here's the other little thing that I'm going to throw in here. Okay, In 2015, when I was with the FBI, according to Cybersecurity Ventures' The cybercrime problem was a $3 trillion problem, and by 2021, it went up to a $6 trillion global problem, and by 2025, it's going up to a $10 trillion problem. So let's track this. Is the cybercrime problem predicted to get better or get worse?
0: Well, it's obviously getting worse. Well, it depends upon which side you're on. If you're a cyber criminal, it's getting better, but- oh, yeah. uh... But yeah, no, generally it's getting worse. It's becoming more lucrative. And why is that?
1: That doesn't, that that does not bother me as much. We collectively are spending more money on trying to be safe, but the problem is getting worse. So what does that mean? And this drives the vendors crazy. I love going down this path. We'll continue to spend more and more money and the problem is going to get worse.
0: Well, I, I think I know where you're going, and maybe maybe not. But I'm going to opine on that. I see way too much of people thinking that all that they need to do is to get in some sort of whiz bang tool, um, better log manager, better analyzer, and this and that. And that's not do, that's not doing it because it's okay, it's the people and processes with the
1: technology. Okay, let's take that one step for let's take that one step down. Forget about people processes. When your elderly parents think that they're prepared for cybercrime what do they say they have we have identity theft protection and we have antivirus right what do okay well Not it's it's it it, it, it it it's
0: it's one of those things like you know i i i have always in my career used the car analogy so it's just like i mean you have a car which has an accelerator a brake headlights wipers this and that but if you don't use them effectively or if you if you go beyond the performance specifications of the vehicle, or driving, or the road, then you're not ultimately protected completely because you have these things in place. It's the same thing. Antivirus will help, firewalls will help, uh, identity theft um, protection will help. All these things will help, but it's. I think sometimes people just think that oh, I got all this stuff. That's great. I mean, back in the day, small businesses. I don't. I don't think I've actually heard this now for about two or three years. You might still hear it. It's like we got a firewall. We're fine. Oh, don't get me going. Come on. And and it's like, I mean, there was, a, uh, there was a, um, uh, a, a commercial that I remember being on the radio as recently as a few years ago from some company out there that makes small uh, uh, Soho routers. And I won't say who they are that might begin with a B and be some sort of a fish, but I won't go any further. But the commercial was basically along the lines of... Um, Hey, you know, I'm worried about cybersecurity. Well, that's okay, Joe. We have this device in here and we are secure. And every time I'd hear that, I'd want to throw up in my truck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, it's, I mean, I think that that's the same analogy with like people.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that I created, uh, and it just came out of sitting on the beach in Puerto Rico and drinking a couple of beers, was after listening to a podcast, I, I created what I called the Cyber Secure Mindset. It's not a product. It's not a service. It's a way of thinking about the problem. So I created a very, very simple framework of 10 points. And what did I do with the FBI? I had a very unique opportunity to sit here and to interview 1,000 victims and I identified patterns. Now, identifying patterns is really important, but if you can create your own patterns and you can go over there, and that's what I do now, because here's what I tell everyone. Look, you don't need to hire me to speak. You don't even need to read my book. Here, just download this one piece of one three sheets of paper and go implement these things. I'm gonna give you a link to my landing page for your listeners to get that and go do it yourself. Okay. So so that is, is is that cybersecuritymindset.com? No, that was already taken by a big information company. It's cybersecuremindset.com and it's a very very simple landing page. And on that landing page you're going to give me your email. And I'm going to give you my framework. I'm going to give you the business email compromise guide from the FBI and the ransomware guide from 2016, because I just want to prove to you that it's the same stuff we're talking about today. And also going to provide you with two free chapters, the best chapters of my book, which is keeping kids safe and keeping your elderly parents safe. Because that to me is the, that's why I live a passion project life. I do what I love to do.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the book. You said that there's there's 10 chapters in here and you you give 18, away two free, 18? Okay, exactly. I don't know where I got the 10 from, I'm sorry. I
1: ends in my framework. I created a framework. Oh,
0: oh, oh okay, okay, okay,
1: okay. So, because let me tell you, if you read the book, I don't know, maybe you'll be safe. And, I, and, and let me give you my book plug. If you're looking to read a good book by the, an FBI agent who saved the day and put a lot of bad guys in jail, So don't read my book. That's not what it's about. (laughs) I called it the secret to cybersecurity because the domain was available. At the time, I didn't really know what the secret is. But you know what the secret is? You don't have to be the next victim. And I know I'm oversimplifying it. That's why the services that you provide to these businesses is so important. Because you can read my book top to bottom. You can hire me to go on a cruise with you while I'll talk all the time and drink with you. But I'm not going to be able to do the important things that you do, Greg, which is segmenting the network, setting up the policies and doing all those important things. All I'm trying to do is tell people that without a good mindset, if you don't do what I tell you to do for free, I do not care how much money you're going to spend on the problem.
0: Well, and that is uh, points to kind of one of our guiding principles is that if somebody comes to us and says that they want to engage us because they need to become compliant with PCI, for example, and that's all that they're looking for, we we decline um, because that's going to do them no good. I'm not interested in, in trying to get someone to check a box somewhere because that's not security. But if they're interested in growing their program now, at that point in time, that tells me, using your word, that they have the mindset. They may not know exactly what they need to do, but they know that they have to do stuff. And they, it, a small business, a medium business, they, they will never get anywhere significant with cybersecurity if there is not that mindset from, from the C-suite and the, and the board of directors, in my opinion.
1: And that's where you're different, and that's where I admire you. I know you for years. You took a leap of faith. You went out there, you followed your passion. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've seen that there. You just, you know, you had your hands up. You're like, okay, I'm not doing this. I'm going to go out. You took that risk. Well, well I, it was incredibly
0: frustrating to see. I think I think that we share that same frustration. We've talked about this, to see keep on seeing instances where businesses were getting dinged when they didn't need to get dinged. And in some cases, whether it's 60% or not, a lot of times it would
1: kill the business. And then you would see our, our friends going out and going like this, Hey, let me do a compliance audit on your network. And that's all you need. Yeah. I I hate to say it. And that's why, you know, when I tell, honestly, I refer you out all the time. Because you know what? You
0: have the the, the check is in the mail.
1: I don't listen. Thank you for paying your pay your taxes. So I got my great pension and that's why you 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 know what, but that's the whole thing here. You're not doing it. You didn't go out there like myself. A lot of my peers are going out and speak and they're selling products, they're selling services. Mm -hmm. I'm providing knowledge. I've never advertised in four and a half years. I've never told one person to buy my book. I'm always afraid to tell. I never tell anyone. Watch, my, I post videos on LinkedIn every day because I want people to get a cyber secure mindset. And then when people call me up, this is what I tell them. You don't need to hire me. Just go watch my videos. Mm-hmm. And at yeah. that point, I know I have someone who wants to spend more time with me. To, so they can take what I've learned in 30 years with the FBI and I could teach it to them so they can bring it back to their company.
0: And you bring up also a good point. Um, maybe it's a little tangential, just talking about small businesses and marketing and all that you say, you never, never really spend anything on marketing. I mean, I don't, I mean, going out and doing ads, obviously everybody has to have a website and this and that. Um, one of the most remarkable things is that I, everybody in the information security community knows you particularly within the you know the Nashville area it's like you know I I, I mention your name and they're like um you, and the reason why is because your passion has driven you to go out and proactively m- do these talks uh, I've I've seen you talk at many many different events and uh, I'm very happy to see you continuing with this well what do you see is a uh, um Where, where are you going with this initiative now Uh, continue to speak continue to mentor and continue to develop
1: the, the the training program that you're doing. Well, I I, I read a great book by Daniel Pink, and I think it was uh, about motivation. I'm this doesn't feel like work. Like I Mm -hmm. tell my I tell my wife and some friends I don't have a job and they're like, what are you talking about. I do what I love to do. Mm -hmm. I. You know, if I go out and I provide information to people, they come to me. It's like this crazy, it's this crazy, crazy thing. You know, I talked to a couple of my friends who are making bank and information security. They go, "Look, I'm going to do this three years and get out of the business." My end game is death. Honestly, <laughs> I, love, I love what I, I love what I do, and that's just that simple. I am going to continue to. I am going to continue to do it and uh, just keep focusing, partnering with people like you going out. So I tell everyone, follow me on LinkedIn, go over, you know, go to my website um, for here, for anyone who's really going to listen, who goes to my website, I'm going to give you access. I put my audio book. That's my thing. I'm going to give you access to my audio book. If you reach out to me through your through my landing page. You're going to get an email. I'm building courses around it. The more people I help, the better I feel about myself and also the more business I get too. So having a blast. It was just such a great time spending with you. What time are you going to be at the gym later? (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to make it. I have to go somewhere today, but, uh,
0: well, a couple of things to wrap up because we are almost out of time. And that's the first thing I want I wanted to say that it's just like we're going to have to like uh, do another episode of this because, I mean, I could talk with you forever. Your passion is contagious and I share it. And I was just talking with my wife a couple of days ago about the end game. And I'm like, I think I'm going to end up doing this in some way, shape or form until I'm done um, uh, in, in, in this world right now. So but um, OK, so um, you're on LinkedIn. We're going to have the website in the show notes and we're going to have links to your, your um, LinkedIn site
1: on the show notes. Um, Let's do this again sometime. I'm, I'm an easy guy to find. OK,
0: <laughs> now okay. I think that there was there
1: was a time some time ago that you did not want to be on social media. And now you're don't, that's it. for our next episode, which okay. is today I swore that I would never be on LinkedIn. And now I got eleven thousand followers. So, I, OK,
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Well, listen, Scott, I appreciate the conversation so much. And uh, let's uh, plan to do a part two.
1: OK, absolutely. Good to see you. Thank you, my friend. All right,
0: everybody else stay secure.